Welcome to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Since 2004, a group of committed people has coordinated an annual week-long 75-mile walk from Sasabea, Sonora, Mexico to Tucson, Arizona to call for an end to migrant deaths along the U.S.-Mexico border and to stand in solidarity with victims of global migration. In May 2020, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, participants were unable to physically unite to remember those who have died crossing. To continue to raise awareness about migrant deaths and to help raise money for local border justice organizations, organizers launched an alternative migrant trail walk experience to bring people together in a virtual environment. Proceeds benefited Borderlinks, the Autumn Anti-Border Collective, Keep Tucson Together, and the No More Deaths Emergency COVID-19 Bond Fund. The Migrant Trail 2020 Alternative Experience included a week of daily reflections, videos, podcasts, and featured speakers. Today on 30 Minutes, our multi-part series continues with excerpts from Dan Millis and the Environmental Implications of Border Militarization. Born and raised in Arizona, Dan has worked on border and immigration issues on occupied native lands in Arizona since 2003. Dan is the Borderlands Program Manager for Arizona's Grand Canyon Chapter of the Sierra Club, working to protect and restore border landscapes, wildlife, and communities that have been impacted by militarization. In 2005, he began his humanitarian work as a desert aid volunteer for No More Deaths. In 2008, Dan was with a group from No More Deaths that discovered the body of 14-year-old Yoseline Quinteros, a girl from El Salvador who had died during the crossing. Days later, federal law enforcement officials issued Dan a Class B misdemeanor citation for littering for leaving drinking water on migrant trails. Dan was convicted and appealed, and in the meantime was hired to his current position with the Sierra Club. Dan lost his appeal and appealed again, this time winning, erasing his prior conviction, and helping reinforce the precedent that humanitarian aid is never a crime. Dan will discuss his work with the Sierra Club to fight for better border policies and the protection of our communities, natural areas, and wildlife. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you all. This is really exciting for me. And mostly that's because the Migrant Trail was pretty much my first experience in uh, border activism. And um, the Migrant Trail literally changed my life because I was basically a wannabe activist at the time. I had tried getting involved in a number of different causes and I didn't ever find anything that was a great fit until I walked the Migrant Trail and met amazing people and had a life-changing experience. And that was 15 years ago. It's just wonderful to be able to come back and tell you a little bit more about the work that I've been doing since then. Uh, but first, just wanted to quickly just introduce myself again, Dan Millis, my pronouns are he, him, his. 
And I am speaking to you today from uh, Tucson, which is occupied Atam, Yoeve, and Unde territory here in Arizona. And so I was just excited to do anything I could to, um, to help with the event because, you know, you're, you're walking from Sasebe to Tucson. It's in solidarity with the people who are least remembered, the people who most are in need of solidarity. And the people that you get to walk with are, are so, um, you know, just totally mind-blowing for a, a person like me. I'm, I'm from Arizona, but I'm from Northern Arizona. And I just hadn't, you know, I had, I had a very kind of rigid way of thinking about things. And when I went on the migrant trail, I talked to, uh, you know, radical Christians which was something that I, a type of person I had never encountered in Flagstaff, Arizona. I saw Baba Kivri Peak, you know, every day and learned about the Tana Atom Nation. But I figured that showing this set of slides that Lakin and I presented together in Ajo, Arizona in March would be a really great way to share with you all. And at that presentation, we, um, asked before we spoke if any autumn people, since we were on autumn land, wanted to speak first. And Nellie volunteered to come up and share some thoughts that she had about changes happening on autumn land and what it's like to be uh, indigenous in this, in this space. So um, I'm, the folks that you have included for these talks, you know, I felt like this was a great opportunity to kind of share how we we're in it together. We work together, even though we're doing pretty different types of, of work on the, on the border. So this quote, it's a quote that really sums up what's going on. It says the border has become a place where the world's most powerful military faces off against the world's most vulnerable people. And we talk a lot, or we hear a lot about border security, which I like to abbreviate as BS. And when we talk about border security, we oftentimes hear about towers and walls and border patrol agents and vehicles and devices and then, you know, of course, the border wall. And these are some older kind of vintage photographs of border militarization from when this militarization really first began. And we call it militarization, not security, because what is security? If you think about your neighborhood, hopefully you feel like you live in a secure neighborhood. And hopefully that doesn't to you mean living inside of a military barracks, living in a place where you have to, where you're surrounded by walls and you have to go through a checkpoint just to go to the grocery store, right? So that's not security, that's militarization. And some of these militarization programs began in the 1990s, Operation Hold the Line, Operation Safe, Guard, Operation Gatekeeper. And as you can see, these militarization programs under the Clinton administration took place in the cities, in our border cities, our most populous border areas. And as a result, we started to see the deaths as people uh, who were crossing the border. The reasons why they were crossing the border were not being addressed. The root causes were not being addressed by border walls and militarization. And so people continued to cross the border, but they started to do it in remote areas outside of the cities. This is a shot from Embattled Borderlands, which is a really 
fantastic story map that I encourage you to look up. Uh, just Google Embattled Borderlands and you can spend hours going through border-wide learning about the area and learning about what's going on, not just with the environment, but with people and communities. And so this animation shows the deaths. Each red dot is where somebody was found. I mean, this is what the Migrant Trail is really all about. And in 2008, I was with the group of No More Deaths volunteers who found one of these dots that showed up in 2008. And of course, these dots aren't just dots, they're people. They're people who lost their lives, people with families. In some cases, you have multiple people who could be family members represented by one dot. So this is a tragedy that is ongoing. As someone who's from Arizona, this is why I got involved in border issues. This is completely unacceptable. Uh, if you live in another state, say you have a river or a lake nearby, what would you do if 100 or 200 people were washing up dead on those shores every year? You would feel like you had to do something. And so that's what the Migrant Trail is all about. And that's what a lot of the border activism that's going on in this community is about. So fast forward to what's happening with militarization during the Bush era. And the George W. Bush era saw the passage in 2005 of the Real ID Act. This is something that doesn't get talked about as much as some of the other border issues. So I wanted to go through it and explain it. Uh, what I wanted to explain about the Real ID Act is that Section 102 of the Real ID Act allows the waiver of any law in order to build walls and roads on the border. So the walls that I showed you in those previous photographs were from the 1990s. That was not the case. If, if the Clinton administration was building a wall, then legally they would need to um, respect the laws that were in place at the time. Well, when the Bush administration passed the Real ID Act, they had a waiver authority, which means that the Department of Homeland Security publishes a list of laws that they will break in building border walls. There were five lists of laws published under the George W. Bush administration, and they waived a total of 37 laws. This was the largest waiver of law in United States history. And it meant that laws that protect the environment, such as Endangered Species Act, Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, were no longer in effect in the borderlands. It meant that laws that protect religious freedom, such as the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, the Native American Grace Protection and Repatriation Act, these types of laws were also suddenly void in the border region. And now we have this same Real ID Act law still available to the current administration. And the current administration has taken this authority and gone completely nuts. They have issued 25 lists of laws that they are waiving, that they're ignoring. It brings the total number of laws waived along the border up to 65 laws. Some of the new laws that they are waiving that were not waived before, the majority of, or at least the plurality of those laws, are contracting laws. So that now, if the Trump administration wants to give a contract to their friends at the so-called We Build the Wall Steve Bannon organization, they can do that. And that's exactly what they did recently with a $1.3 billion contract to Fisher Industries to wall off the very same areas where the migrant trail walkers begin their walk. 
the Buenos Aires National Wildlife Refuge and to the east through Nogales and across the Santa Cruz River. So as you can imagine, this is just mind blowing. This is totally unprecedented in US history. And it is why things are completely off the rails right now and border walls are under construction all four US southern border states. And people's homes are in danger. People are losing their land, especially uh, riverfront property along the Rio Grande in Texas. Indigenous tribes are being impacted. Sacred sites are being dynamited, including native burial sites. And it is just a complete heartbreak every day. It means that our border communities are not getting equal protection under the law. And unfortunately, this has been the case for as long as, you know, since back when I did my first migrant trail walk in 2005, that's when this law was enacted. And for those 15 years, we have not received equal protection under the law here in the borderlands. So the picture on the left of George W. Bush, he's actually signing the Secure Fence Act in that photograph. The Secure Fence Act in 2006 authorized construction of 700 miles of walls and barriers along the US-Mexico border, which is about 2,000 miles long. So between the Real ID Act and the Secure Fence Act, what that means is that the Bush administration suddenly had the green light, they had funding to build walls, and they did not have to adhere to any law. So they didn't have to write the scientific studies under the National Environmental Policy Act. So, you know, people call them the, uh, the EAs, the Environmental Assessment, or the, um, the other studies that are more in depth. And so none of that was done. The Endangered Species Act doesn't count. And so all of these green areas you see on the map that are federal and state protected lands, they no longer have their protections. And it's important to note that there are protected lands on both sides of the border. The landscape does not stop at the border. The landscape continues, the wildlife habitat continues, the indigenous lands continue. But what the Bush administration ended up doing was building about 354 miles of walls, which you see in red, and 300 miles of vehicle barriers, which you see in yellow. And that cost to construct all of that, that 654 miles uh, of border with barrier on it was about $2 billion. So remember that 2 billion number this is more or less what those walls and vehicle barriers look like. You have walls on the left that are about 12 to 18 feet in height, and they have different types of architectures. Some of them are posts, some of them are solid concrete, some of them look like this mesh wall. And then the vehicle barriers tend to be about shoulder height, and they're designed to stop vehicles, and they're much more permeable for wildlife and water, which I'll talk about in a minute. Now for comparison, the walls that are being built by the current administration are all 30 feet tall. So these 30 foot tall walls are much bigger than what was built under the Bush administration and they're much more expensive. So those 650 miles of walls that Bush built, that cost $2 billion. We're looking at $18.5 billion to build walls. Congress likes to pretend that they had nothing to do with this, but if you look at the blue boxes along the bottom, that's all appropriations by Congress. So that's about five, four and a half to five billion dollars appropriated by the US Congress. And then everything you see in gray is money, it's the rest of that money, it's about 13 billion that has been stolen illegally, unconstitutionally 
by the Trump administration because they did not get as much money as they wanted from Congress. So they took the power of the purse away from Congress and took money away from the military. Ironically, this supposedly patriotic administration is taking money away from the troops and dumping it into his 2020 campaign promise, which is building a wall. You've been listening to excerpts from Borderlands Program Manager for Arizona's Grand Canyon chapter of the Sierra Club, Dan Millis, discussing the environmental implications of border militarization from the Migrant Trail 2020 Alternative Experience on 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. So, things are very bad. very terrible. The Sierra Club, ACLU, and Southern Border Communities Coalition, we are suing on the grounds that this money is um, unconstitutionally being swiped by the Trump administration, and that lawsuit is ongoing. We actually won an injunction to stop the border wall construction, but then the Supreme Court, uh, they stepped in and basically undid the injunction. They issued what's called a stay against the injunction. So that's why all these walls are still being built, despite the fact that our lawsuit is ongoing and has not yet been decided. Here are some of the maps of some of the new wall projects. And I'm missing a lot in these maps. I'm missing all, most of the Texas stuff. In, in the Laredo area, there's 70 miles. In South Texas, there's dozens of miles that are under construction or proposed. And what you see in these maps, as we go from the El Paso area west to the New Mexico boot heel in southeastern Arizona to western Arizona and California is that basically the entire border is getting walled off with very small exceptions like here um, in this little tiny part of California over here on the Tana Autumn Nation but pretty much the rest of the border from El Paso to California and huge chunks in Texas are either already have walls, have walls under construction or walls that have been proposed and are in some state of of planning or funding. So that is the sad state of affairs when it comes to the border wall today. And that brings us to our next set of slides. These are all images by Lakin. He is a fantastic activist. He's down at Oregon Pipe all the time. He used to work there for the National Park Service. Dan Millis is referring to Lakin Jordahl, a Borderlands campaigner for the Center for Biological Diversity. And Oregon Pipe is special, especially in terms of the migrant trail, because you might notice Babakiri Mountain is kind of the border between, uh, if you go to west from there, you're on the Tana Autumn Nation. And if you keep going to the other side of the Tana Autumn Nation, you're on Oregon Pipe. So the you know, this land is all indigenous land. The Tana Autumn Nation is the, is the federal reservation where many Autumn people are living. And then on the one side you have the Buenos Aires National Wildlife Refuge and the Migrant Trail route. And on the other side you have Oregon Pipe. Now, Oregon Pipe is special. It's a place that is designed to protect, it, it was designated to protect these cacti, the Oregon Pipe Cactus, uh, Oregon Pipe Cactus. It's the only place in the United States where the Oregon Pipe Cactus occurs. And this is, uh, just want to be very clear, this is Autumn land. This is Tono Autumn and Hiachet Autumn territory, but it was uh, set aside as a national monument in the 1930s. And despite the fact that this place has been given governmental protection, despite that this place holds many resources, including sacred sites to indigenous people, 
this place is being destroyed. And you can see in this photograph an organ pipe cactus, the cactus for which this monument was named, has been totally bulldozed along with a whole lot of saguaro cacti, both of which are protected species in Arizona. And it's just to make way for this big, ugly 30-foot Trump wall that's being built through our national park. Lakin took this photograph of these two beautiful saguaros that appear to be hugging. They appear to be in an embrace. He took this photograph and uh, came back, I believe it was the next day, and, the, and it looked like this. And he couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe that he, he thought maybe he was in the wrong spot. But if you compare before and after, you can see the rig and the hill in the back. He's standing back a little bit, but the saguaro you see on the left is the only saguaro remaining in this photograph because those saguaro have just been bulldozed. And I don't know if you've heard about this, but there was a letter written by a number of different conservation groups, including the uh, Boyce Thompson Arboretum up in the Phoenix area, actually up in uh, Superior, that there's a lot of concern that the contractor here, which is Kiwit Contracting, they, they have this fake company that they created to build border walls called Southwest Valley Constructors, but it's actually Kiwit Corporation. They had a subcontractor that was basically digging up saguaro cacti and taking them illegally and trying to sell them illegally. And we're petitioning the Arizona government to look into this. To, to go to this place one day and see these beautiful protected species and see them destroyed the next is heartbreaking. And I cannot speak for the autumn, but it, I think that it, this is especially true for autumn people who believe that the saguaro cacti are people, that they are the souls of, of people. And the autumn word for saguaro is a version of the word people, from what I understand. Wildlife gets stuck in all of these walls. Here's a bird that's got stuck between the two layers of mesh in a wall and has, has died. There's a lot of scientific research and papers that show that a number of species are impacted by walls. I'm showing this bird because you wouldn't think that birds are impacted, but one of the first studies to come out about wildlife impacts of border walls was the flesh study in 2009, and it showed that the cactus phrygianus pygmy owl, a very small owl, was likely to be impacted by the border wall because this owl flies very low, and it is not likely to fly up and over a border wall. Other species that are impacted include bighorn sheep, Puma, uh, Kawadi, the jaguar. This is um, jaguar habitat, not at Oregon Pipe, but here in Southern Arizona. And the few remaining jaguar that we've seen have all been male in recent years. So walling them off is basically a, a death sentence to this amazing species. But back to Oregon Pipe, this is Quito Baquito Spring. It's very rare to see a water body like this at Oregon Pipe Cactus National Monument in that area of the Sonora Desert. And this is a natural spring that is very much a sacred place to the Autumn people. And it is also a place where there are two species of fish that are endangered and live here and nowhere else. And clearly being in the desert, this is a very fragile piece of water. Well, these are Kiwit Corporation's well pumping rigs, their water trucks, they are pumping the aquifer, the same aquifer that feeds Quito Baquito Spring. So this sacred site to the Autumn people, the only natural body of water in the whole region is being drained, is being pumped into these big trucks so that they can mix concrete for Trump's wall.
This is some of the clearing that has happened along the border next to Quito Baquito. This is just a stone's throw from the Quito Baquito pond that I showed you. And these vehicle barriers on the left will soon be replaced. If they haven't been already, they, they may have already been replaced with 30 foot border walls. And the, the Quito Baquito pond will literally be in the shadow of this new wall. These are some more photographs of the damage taking place there at Quito Baquito. And this is uh, also at Oregon Pipe, it's called Monument Hill. And if any of you have traveled from Tucson or Phoenix area down to Rocky Point, Puerto Penasco, you've probably seen Monument Hill off to your right as you're traveling south across the border. It's right there by Lukeville. And Monument Hill is known as a place where the Atom and the Apaches had fought battles. And Apache warriors are known to be buried here. And on the same day that the Tahana Atom Nation tribal chairman Ned Norris Jr. was in Congress testifying against the desecration of sacred sites for border wall construction, U.S. Customs and Border Protection on that same day, in fact, at the exact same time, decided to host a press conference where CBP at the same time that Chairman Norris is testifying is using dynamite to blow up Monument Hill, the site where Apache warriors are known to be buried. So a sacred site literally being blown up. We were there watching when this happened and it was just otherworldly. Um, the autumn brothers and sisters that were with us, many were very upset to see this because destroying the land to them is, is destroying their culture. It's, as Chairman Norris put it, it's like uh, driving a bulldozer through Arlington Cemetery. This is from a New York Times article. Uh, this is Verlin Jose, a former Tona Atom Nation tribal leader. He's now the leader, uh, considered himself leader of Atom in Mexico. There is the, uh, the quote, to state it clearly, we're enduring crimes against humanity. Tell me where your grandparents are buried and let me dynamite their graves. Here's Nelly. Nelly's amazing. Dan Millis is referring to Nelly Joe David, who works to strengthen indigenous rights and autonomy on the imposed U.S.-Mexico borderlands intersecting the Tohono O'odham Nation. Nelly is co-founder of the O'odham Anti-Border Collective, a grassroots group dedicated to maintaining connections despite colonial barriers. She was featured in a previous episode of this series. This is a protest that we did down at Oregon Pipe, and Nelly led us in chants and spoke very eloquently along with a number of other Atom people, Kiachet Atom, Tono Atom, Akimel Atom. So people from all over Southern Arizona that are indigenous were leading this protest against the wall at Oregon Pipe. And there were about 300 people in attendance. 300 people is a great turnout. I think that the organizers were hoping to get 50 people because Oregon Pipe is very remote and this was planned kind of last minute. So in about a week, 300 people assembled, but um, the indigenous resistance that she and other often people are doing is really inspiring for all of us because they are the folks who are on the ground and are impacted most here in Southern Arizona and elsewhere along the border. So there's been a lot of really amazing indigenous-led actions and resistance that has been happening. You don't hear about these protests 
that much in the news, but they are happening. You don't hear much about the resistance work that's going on, but it's, it's there. And I think that a lot of what's going on when it comes to border militarization has to do with, and is in fact a direct continuity of colonialism in general and taking indigenous land. And what we see happening in the media is that it's hard to get a lot of attention paid to this issue because the media isn't really clued in about that basic dynamic. And I think that we've come a long way in the decade plus that I've been working on this, but we still have a long way to go. You've been listening to excerpts from Borderlands Program Manager for Arizona's Grand Canyon chapter of the Sierra Club, Dan Millis, discussing the environmental implications of border militarization from the Migrant Trail 2020 Alternative Experience on 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Since 2004, a group of committed people has coordinated an annual week-long 75-mile walk from Sasabe, Sonora, Mexico to Tucson, Arizona to call for an end to migrant deaths along the U.S.-Mexico border and to stand in solidarity with victims of global migration. In May 2020, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Participants were unable to physically unite to remember those who have died crossing. In order to continue to raise awareness about migrant deaths and to help raise money for local border justice organizations, organizers launched an alternative migrant trail walk experience to bring people together in a virtual environment. More information is available at azmigranttrail.com. This is part of a multi-part series. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. You can find this and all recent episodes on the 30 Minutes program page at kxci.org.